Hey y'all, welcome back to Love, Sweat, and Tears, Ingredients for Transformative Campus Leadership. Today I'm talking with John Hines, um, the guy behind JL Hines Consulting, um, about what his life was like as a school principal and the work that he's doing now consulting and training and leading and coaching school principals. Um, this was such a special conversation to me. I loved listening to his heart um, for students and for teachers and um, his systems-based approach. I am a systems girl. I love some systems theories. I love some systems. Um, so I I really loved hearing his approach to that and where that came from. And it's just a sweet and special conversation with so many nuggets of wisdom, so many things that you can go home and do tomorrow to make your job easier and better. I mean, come on. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Let's dive in. John Hines, it's so great to have you here to get to talk with you and learn from your experience. And um, I'm just so excited and thankful well, to have you here. Thanks for having me. I, I feel like I time. have something to share. We'll yeah. see how much you actually edit out and how much you actually keep. <laughs> oh, we rarely edit these things very much. I'm sure we'll, we'll keep see. all of it in. Um Okay, so before we kind of dive into what you're doing right now in your current work, I want to hear a little bit about who you are and where you come from, um, and especially like what your experience was like in school okay. as a kid. Well, I'm a poor guy from West Texas. That that would sum up my history. Mm -hmm. And growing up in a small town, my mom was... My grandmother owned a restaurant and my mom ran it and was a waitress. And okay. so she would open up the restaurant at five in the morning for the oil field. Mm. She'd come home at two, sure. take a nap, and then go back at four yeah. until 10. And that's all I wow. knew. Even, I mean, reflecting back wow. hard, that's what I remember. Mm -hmm. My mom worked and she insured... Yeah. We knew how to work. Now, we just said we were poor. Today's standard mm -hmm. would be like economically disadvantaged, or but we were just poor. We we didn't know any better. Hell, everybody was in the same boat. But I've I've learned now. I wasn't living in poverty, and I wasn't living in trauma. Mm. But we were poor. And I think that's the difference of growing up back then versus some of the schools I've worked in here. Of Thank God I was just poor. We didn't, we didn't have trauma in our, yeah. in our family because we were a family. We were a loving family. And we worked yeah. and we went to school. Long version for yeah. I was a Maslow kid growing up all the way to high school, really all the way through college. Of, sure. Hey, we got to yeah. eat, got to pay bills. Mm. So yeah. school wasn't my priority ever, even in college. It just wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. So I was. So how did you, what kept you going? What kept you coming back? What kept, like you went through college. What was it that motivated you to, to stay in? I haven't figured that out yet. You know, really, when I went, to, I don't even know why I went to college and not just worked in the oil field. I was making more money in the oil field than I was in, in uh, as a first year teacher. 
Um, and I was a business major until I started dating a girl who was an education major. And in San Angelo, they had an on-site kindergarten with an observation deck. So to, to, I would go and watch her be with kids. And they're like, wait, I, I like that better than this business stuff over here. And so that's how I got into education. Yeah. Interesting. So coming from that, you know, not, not being the person that, you know, is a high school student and feels so passionate about education and they know that's what they want to do. Having just kind of fallen into it in college, what were your first years like in the schools? Uh, my first years in school, it was just getting by. I mean, I was still poor, <laughs> no doubt about it. I remember back then our principals would ha come and physically hand a check. Okay, none of this direct deposit stuff. And he came and gave me my check and I had done the numbers and I was gonna get, I was going to have $50, 50, five, zero, to make it to the next check. And so yeah. when you're still yeah. working in Maslow's needs and trying right. to work, that's just not a good combination. Yeah. So I think I was empathetic, but I can't say I was the best teacher. There's no way. There's no way. Sure. Of course. Of course. Yeah. You're inexperienced. And what grades were you teaching when I you was first started? Elementary. So I was fifth grade at one school. And then I was fourth grade at another school. So I was a teacher for seven years. And then I was assistant principal for five. And then I was a principal for 17. Okay. What, what was it that started that transition from classroom teacher to administrator? That principal who hired me unassigned from San Angelo, he said, hey, I see something in you. I think you need to uh, pursue administration. I'm like, Mr. Martin, please. Yeah, I can't, I can't afford what I have. He said, okay, go to such and such bank. Find this person. She'll take care of you. And so I went to the bank. She took care of me. She consolidated all of my loans, all of that stuff, so that I could then afford working on my master's when I, when I paid that loan off, you know, you get the actual paperwork back. He had co-signed for me. Yeah. Wow. He me. What he on earth? He had co-signed for me to get that consolidation loan so that I could go get my master's. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I know That's it. crazy. I know so he just yeah. really believed so in that, you. Because I didn't have the desire. I was still trying to just make sure bills were paid, that kind of stuff. And, mm -hmm. and so he, he saw something in me and supported me through it without me knowing about it. Yeah. Wow. So when you found yourself kind of going through your master's or getting into administrating, did you feel like, oh, this is my niche or what, what was that? No, I did like? not feel it was my niche because again, I wasn't 
a student. And so graduate school was not, it was, wasn't painful, but it was as unenjoyable as all of my other learning. And so it wasn't until I became an assistant principal that I really, it's like, okay, these kids who are going through tough times, I can identify with that and let's figure out what it is. And I was really good at that. I was really good at working with the most, even in the classroom, the most behaviorally challenged kids. I knew how to figure them out. And my wife was a school psychologist. So she had that. I had that support and that knowledge. So I could figure out just about any kid, any kid, even from the, the LD to the highly autistic kid. I was really good at that. And so that's when I, I realized, okay, this, this may be something I can do. So what were your first few years like as a new administrator? <laughs> okay. Other than being an assistant principal, because many people think the principal job is the assistant principal job, just a little bit harder. It is not. It's not. I'm telling you a hundred percent. The assistant principal job, you are a resource to be used. And as a principal, you are managing resources. So when I was an assistant principal, I was trying to be the best assistant principal I could be because I was competing with all these other assistant principals. I wasn't paying attention to what the principals were doing. And I was under master principals. These were great people, but I wasn't paying attention. I was trying to rock at being an assistant principal. So when I did become a principal, it's like, holy crap. Now what? Because I really didn't have the skills to be the principal. I had the skills to be a great assistant principal. So my first three years were just not fun at all. At all. Because of me not having the skills and I landed on a campus that was in mass dysfunction for several reasons. And so trying to get a staff to cooperate, to have the same values to, because I didn't hire this staff. So they had different values. They had a, a leader before me who they did not like, and they were going to take it out on me. And so it was not fun at all. The kids were awesome. How, how long were you at that campus? campus? Nine years. So what was that like going from this is not fun to nine years at the same campus? <sighs> well, those were, those were nine long years, but I did learn some valuable lessons. Mm. And I would not have learned those lessons if I were not at that school. So, mm, so what okay. kind of lessons? Yeah. Like every decision that you make or don't make can be grieved. I didn't know that. So moving a teacher from fourth grade to first grade, I have that right. Board policy says I have that right, but board policy also says they have the right to grieve that decision. I didn't understand I could be grieved for coming into a classroom unannounced. 
like, what is that? But I have the right and they have the right. Uh, but what, and what they would do is they would file the grievance the Friday at four o'clock before Thanksgiving break or before Christmas break. And so it made every time off terrible because you're just spreading this process you've never been through and, and so forth. But over the years, I came to love them. They came to love me, but we always, there was still a lot I didn't learn. So I was still struggling as a principal because I didn't have the skills yet, but I did learn how to analyze data, which was an enormous boost. I learned how to communicate not only to my staff, but to the community. That was one thing I had not seen the previous principals I worked with do. So once I learned that, then I got the community to support the initiatives that we were doing. And therefore, things got better in the school. How did you do that? How did you communicate with your I community? Every Friday, I would send out an email. And this is probably my last two or three years. I would send out an email to my community, basically from a perspective of a dad who is the principal of the school and acknowledging that this is a working community and they can't come to the school and be involved like they would want to. So I'm going to give them a little insight into what's going, what I saw in the cafeteria and some of the mm. outstanding students okay. that were rocking it. And it's like, if I were a dad yeah. out in the community, I would want to hear some of these stories. So I would, I talk about being in the cafeteria and a girl wanted me to pull her tooth because she couldn't eat her apple. And it's like, baby, I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't reach into your mouth. I can't do that, baby, but I can walk you over to the, <laughs> yeah. to the clinic and we can make sure that yeah. gets taken care of. And yeah. just things like that of hmm. pr being proud of my kid, my students, uh, helping my parents understand why we were going to do a fundraiser or what why I needed them in at school before the tardy bell so that they can get breakfast and get to class before they blah 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 and so I I learned that from the principal at the high school level can I tell you a story right quick okay okay Please, so of course. You're with my PTA president, and we're just mm -hmm. talking, and a couple of okay. other moms join us, and they were talking about the email the, that high school principal sent out. And if I had received it, I'm like, no, I, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, yeah. It was a big football game that Friday night. And he wrote this email, and it basically went like this. said, wasn't that an awesome game from a principal I'm on the field and I got to look up into the stands and see how excited all of you were got to see our pep squad and our band and cheerleader and of course the football team but I couldn't leave my office tonight without writing you the email explaining how proud I am of the community and the community support 
Mm. And that email made such an impact to those parents that they, they felt like yeah. they could see what he saw based on the way he wrote it. So I yeah. asked the ladies, hey, right. can you all send me that email? And then start sending yeah. me all of his emails. So I started learning how to write because of that okay. principle and the way he wrote. I didn't even know you could write like that. I thought it's supposed to be a bulletin, just a bulletin. No, he wrote, it was, it was, it was crazy. It, it changed me like one of those deep changes as a professional. And from then on, I just became a better and better communicator because of I, that example. Yeah, it was cool. Oh, I love that. Especially as a parent, you know, I have a, a third mm -hmm. grader and a kindergartner. And so um, I'm, I'm the PTA president at our school. And so mm -hmm. I get to be up there a lot and see what's going on. And um, I get to be that person that communicates with the parents. But um, just what a treasure it is to have those experiences. And remember, like, most parents don't know what's yeah. going on at the school. And a lot of parents don't those little stories that are just make it personal and real and special. And, um, to know that your principal loves your kids and cares about the community is just such a treasure and produces so much buy-in and so much ownership. And mm -hmm. yeah, we're in this together. And, and um, that's just so sweet. Yeah. You know, even if, yeah. If, if you look at where you shop or, your friends or whatever trust is a really solid connector. And if your parents can trust you, they're going to forgive you when you screw up because you're going to screw up. I mean, that's the way it is, but they're going to trust that you had good intentions, you made a bad decision or there are 10 better decisions, but I trust you. You're going to fix it. It's going to be okay. And especially now in an age where parents are having so much more and more choice about where they mm -hmm. send their kids, what campus they send their kids to, and then that leads to the resources available to that campus. It's almost like principals are having to, there's like competition or marketing involved in creating a campus culture and campus community that hasn't really existed in the same way yeah. before. Um and I think that trust element is so important in um, convincing your parents why this is a good school yeah. to send your kiddos yeah. to. I agree. You were in that position for 17 years, and now you're doing something adjacent but a little bit different. Can you tell me about what the process was like from transitioning off of the campus into what you're doing now with your wife? Well, Saying that we were naive would be an understatement because okay, I thought sure. as a principal, you mentor people around you, okay? Mm -hmm. And I saw, mm -hmm. I saw the need, like, man, these new people in this new world, it, they're really struggling. And so I'm going to get out of being a principal and I'm going to turn around I'm going to have this huge business because there's a huge need. Uh, yeah, no, right. No. Sure. It didn't happen that way because number okay. one, I retired two months, two months mm. before lockdown. So that, so trying to start a business 
to go into schools during COVID didn't work too well. But overall, what I'm finding is that superintendents are almost in denial about what their principals need or they're disconnected, disconnected, denial, whatever. And there's a pride factor on the principal's side to not ask for help and not to reach out. And so what happens is you've got these new principals who were not APs very long, struggling to figure it out on their own because of pride, because of time, because of they're overwhelmed. And district personnel not really knowing what they need because they're not making the needs, but they're not voicing the needs. And so you got a lot of tough, you got a lot of people in a tough position, which breaks my heart because it's unnecessary, but I went through it too. I understand it completely. I didn't want anybody to know I was struggling. That's, that's a sign of weakness. You can't do that, right? But if you had somebody who could come in and say, okay, tell me what fires you got right now. Okay, let's help, let me help you prioritize. What about writing this type of memo or putting this play in place or whatever? Okay, you got this. You got this. You run with it. I'll be back in two weeks. I think that would give some confidence to the leader of like, okay, I do have some support here. I, it's not public. He's not my evaluator. It's my job's not on the line. He's coming in to help me and he'll be back and I can call him at any time. I think that would help, but maybe it's just me. I don't know. So naive that goes that's the, the answer to your question. I'm sorry, it's a long answer. So how, how you started this kind of right before lockdown. When was it that you finally got to start practicing some of these um, tools that you have developed for principals and the systems that you've put in place? Um, how long have you been able to kind of work in that Ooh, space? Like when I was a principal... Probably my last five or six years, I was assigned or people just used me as a mentor. And so I got to learn that how to mentor back when I was still a principal. And so now it's going in, building that trust, number one, and figuring out the skill level, the background, what 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 are they confident about what what are they not confident about and then how can i help them move forward without how can i help them move forward without stressing them more sure that's the big thing yeah, not adding more to-dos when they're already feeling like they're drowning with so many different tasks to do, um, which which kind of brings up the yeah. systems-based approach. 
Um, I really love some yeah. systems theory myself. Um, so when I saw that so much of what you teach is based around kind of a systems theory or systemic approach to administration, um, can you tell me a little bit about where you got that, sure. why it works for you, why you've seen it work for yeah. other people? Now, I call it systems. Some people call it routines. Some people call it structures or protocols. Whatever word resonates with you, rock on. Structures is what one of my mentors taught me. Now, back when I was at my first school, I was getting beaten like mad from central office because of my scores, my benchmark scores. And I didn't know what to do about it because I, I was a great AP. I wasn't a great instructional leader moving into this job. I was a great AP, or at least I thought I was. So one principal took me under her wing and taught me her system of, of analyzing data. And this was like a 20-year vet principal. So she had her system down pat. She's most successful principal in our district. And we had 72 schools, okay, just to give you an idea of the district. She rocked it. She knew she rocked it. She owned it. She, she, anyway. So she taught me how to systemize the analysis of data. And I'm like, okay. And then she taught me how to systemize meetings and system. And so if it, thank God I had, I, I ran across this lady and she was so generous with her time and patience that then I could take that concept, put it into my style, and then just start improving those systems. Because you're not going to learn how to do data overnight. I mean, that's over years. But you improve, you learn a little bit more, and you do better. You learn a little bit more. I think Maya Angelou said that. But you do the best you can until you learn more, and then you do better. But that's how it was with me. And I'm a very competitive achieving person right so that lines up with my with my strengths with the strength finder of okay here's the system i'm going to make it better because that's just what i do and then i'm going to make it better and so i took her teachings and just moved forward with it so uh if i had to put like let's say four things in order of Meetings, systemizing me, who you meet with, and you do it regularly. Okay, that's a system right there. Your head custodian. If you meet with him once a week, that's going to improve things. If you meet with your leadership team once a week, it's gonna, you're going to solve problems. Your communication is going to get better. Your culture is going to get better because you're going to learn more about your staff. I mean, this on and on and on, it's meetings. That's a system, but so many people don't understand that's a system to put into play. Uh, your master calendar. I've got a video on that of why I think that's the number one thing. You can watch it if you want to. Daily. Where is that real quick? YouTube is that channel. on your YouTube J. channel? L. Hines Consulting. Okay, yeah. great. 
Yeah, and it'll be linked. It'll be linked in the, the episode too. The key too. with systems is if you can systemize eighty to ninety percent of your job, which you can, that gives you a lot of mental energy and physical energy to deal with the ten percent mm -hmm. of the things that are gonna happen, the crises, mm -hmm. the emergencies, sure. yeah, mm -hmm. the fires, and yeah, that's a whole complete mindset. That if I can walk on this mm -hmm. campus at 6.30 and until 5, most of it's just system. I just walk my walk. I do my routine. It's going to work. As opposed to walking in at 6.30 going, damn, what's going to hit me today? That's a, just because a, you're defeated before you even get in the front door. And I know it happens because that was me my first five, six years. I lived it. I know it. And it doesn't have to be that way. And then if you can systemize it also when you're off campus at meetings or if you have to, heaven forbid, take a day off of work, the systems are still working at your school. And it's not falling apart because everybody's dependent on you to make a decision or you to be there to fix things. Things are still running because you've systemized everything. I think it, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and I, I can hear so many administrators saying, yeah, but yeah. how? <laughs> like, how do I go from this feeling of chaos and overwhelm and just taking it moment by moment and fire by fire to developing mm -hmm. these systems? Yeah. Start with meetings. Just start with meetings. I mean, and if you meet with your leadership team, and these are these don't have to be long meetings, but if you let's say your office staff, your office staff, meet with them for twenty minutes, one time a week. You can, just about everybody can do that. Well, everybody can do that. They, they can carve out twenty minutes, even if you just huddle and stand in the front office for twenty minutes. Okay, what's going on in the calendar? Who's responsible for what? What field trips we have? Okay, ready, break, psh, done. Okay, you've already solved half your problems because now everybody's communicating. And then your leadership team meeting, and then your team leaders, and then your teams, and then your PTA, and so forth. I have a checklist, and it's on my website, where it's just a chart. And when you meet with someone, you, you put a check mark there. That, that's the system. Because what happens is you get to the end of the month and you're like, crap, I didn't, this has been a heck of a month. I didn't meet with people. Well, when you start doing that, you start going back to the old ways of being overwhelmed because you just didn't have a meeting. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, how do you, how have you addressed staff members that are kind of resistant to yeah. bringing in new systems or changing things or doing things mm -hmm. a different way? How, how did you kind of work through that and build that trust for them to say, okay, what you're doing is working. I'll try mm -hmm. it. Or, or is that something that you like, how, how can other campus yeah. administrators work well, through that? I was on three different campuses. So I went through that three different mm -hmm. times and each campus mm -hmm. staff, they were at different places mm -hmm. 
So my first staff, it was hell. Complete it. That's it. That's the word for it. Mm. My second staff was yeah. amazing. I need to tell you the things I learned from that mm. campus, but they were amazing. And then by the time I got to the third campus, I had built a reputation, mainly positive. And so sure. I had earned some trust. So it wasn't mm. as hard, but the two, two main things mm. that help the quickest mm -hmm. is to mm -hmm. have conversations and listen and actually listen. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. when you, if you do that, then you can turn around and tell the staff, okay, we're making this change because I heard you say, this is what you want. You wanted to cut down on discipline or you wanted to make things easier on everybody or you wanted, the, you want this to be a happy place. Heard it. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Now, which gives you the intent behind the change. Because a lot of people go, yeah. a lot of principals go right. in and they, they're going to change the campus to be like their last mm -hmm. campus. Sure. Well, yep. That may right. not be what this campus needs or it may not what they need right yeah. now. And I use a form, I learned how to use a form called keep doing, start doing, stop doing. Oh, so you sure. give it yeah. to everybody. So, okay, what are the things we need to stop doing on this campus? They're not serving us. What is it? Mm -hmm. What are the things we need to start doing that you've heard from friends or you yeah. saw on Pinterest or Instagram or whatever? Hey, let's, let's yeah. do some of that cool sure. stuff. Okay. And what are the things we're going to, yeah. we need to keep? that are traditions, mm -hmm. mainly a secondary, they always have tradition or your veteran teachers yeah. will say, you know, I've been through five different principles and these are the things, no matter which principle, these are the things that are best for our kids. So you have that information. Mm -hmm. Then you can tell your staff, look, I've gone through it. I've heard. And so here are the things we're going to start doing and stop doing and keep doing at least let's say for the next three months. Then we'll reevaluate it then and see how it goes. What kind of systems for for that evaluation have you developed to know if the changes that you're making are working? Data, really. Data, both objective and subjective. So if, let's say you do the stop, start, keep. Okay, you give that sheet out to everybody or you do it, make it a Google Doc. One, three months, bring it right back. So, okay, here, do it again. What have we made adjustments that have improved this campus? And hopefully you can say improve this campus for our kids. Because not all campuses are about kids. You want them to be, but they're not. I've been there. And then data, you, let's say decreasing behavior issues is the number one goal. Okay, so let, we've got data as of right now. In three months, we're going to do it again. We'll see what we've done. Or decreasing attendance or increasing kids on the honor or whatever it may be. You can get some subjective data and you can get some objective data. And then go from there. But it goes back to, okay, communicating. Because you're the chief communicating officer. And if there's one way, there's more than one way to communicate with people. 
it doesn't always have to be words. There's a phrase somewhere. It's, uh, oh, I'm going to butcher this. It's communicate often and if necessary, use words. Mm -hmm. I like that one. You talk in, in some of your courses and your videos about the importance of administrators finding their unique leadership mm. style. Can you talk to me about how you found that for yourself and how you practically coach other principals to identify or develop that for themselves? Well, I was introduced to Strength Finder early on. Okay. And ah. mm -hmm. really, if you go all the way back, the book series went first, break all the rules. Now, that was the first book mm -hmm. by the Gallup Corporation. Mm -hmm. And then it was now discover mm -hmm. your strengths was the second book. It's now Strength Finder 2.0. But b before that, it was right. now discover your strengths. And so if you do that survey, which I highly recommend, it... Mm -hmm it pulls out your strengths. And I remember doing that survey, yeah. printing it off and going to my wife saying, look, Lisa, this is why I am who I am. It's not because I want yeah. to, it's just who it's in my DNA that I have to achieve every yeah. day. Even if it's a sick day or a holiday, I've got to get crap done. That's just who I am. And so yeah. once I could, articulate that to number one my wife and my staff then they it helps them understand yeah. where my drive comes from and why i don't celebrate right. too often that's because i'm looking mm. to point b and then once we get to point b i'm going to point c and when you understand that yeah. about me then you're going to forgive me mm. for zooming past the celebration part or whatever yeah. it may be. And so with that and mm -hmm. Standout, which is by Marcus Buckingham, once you get mm. some of those indicators and then descriptors of who you are and what people can expect from you, both positive and negative, because there's pros and cons to everything, mm -hmm. then you can articulate that to your staff and to your mm. bosses and to everybody. Then you start to say, okay, yeah. if I'm really good at this, this, and this, how can I put that to work mm -hmm. in my profession, in my job? And then, sure. okay, sure. if I'm good at achieving, I need to have a woo somewhere around the building who are, who's going to soothe it over sure. because that's not me. That's my number mm -hmm. 26. Right. And there's 26 <laughs> strengths oh, wow. in that street yeah. fighter. So that's, right, right. Yeah. Uh -huh. So I would hire my APs mainly were always woo people because I needed that to balance me. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Yeah. Our, our district uses uh strengths finder a lot. And, um, but you know, I, I hear you talking about, identifying your strengths and communicating those, but then also using the understanding of things that you're not as strong in to make sure that you surround yourself with people that can make up for your weaknesses. And, um, that takes a lot of work to be comfortable with that. 
to be comfortable saying this person is better at this than me. And that's mm -hmm. why I hired them. Um, I like that a lot. That's, that's great. Um, so, you know, we've talked a lot about um, developing systems of using data um, of, you know, understanding yourself and your leadership style um, how do you kind of put all of that together? Um, you ta you talked about, we talked about um, how we can go all in, how we can take all of these different small bits and um, go like dive in head first. Can you talk to me about that yeah. concept? Um, I think you've got to get to a place beyond overwhelmed. You can be whelmed, but not overwhelmed. Because I think when, when you're confident in what you're doing and you're proactive, you're going to make better decisions, okay? But somebody's not just going to come and hand you confidence and say, here you go. You got to build it. And to get confidence, specifically as a principal, you got to figure out where you are in comparison with your peers, now, data-wise, you can see, you can pull all the data and you can say, okay, how does my campus compare to other like campuses? Okay, that gives you a very objective measure. But when you know that you're in the ballpark, it's like, okay, I'm in the ballpark because I've spoken to my peers and I know what they're doing for the month or for teacher appreciation or whatever it may be. Okay, so now I'm going to, move a little bit forward. I'm going to move faster. I'm going to make better decisions because now I'm confident I'm in the ballpark. Now, if somebody would say, okay, John, you are doing exactly what this district wants you to do. Keep doing it. We're going to say yes. Just imagine your self-esteem and you're like, okay, let's get it. Because the boss has just told me I'm doing it. But how often does that happen? Right. right. I'm like, that, that sounds great. That would be so wonderful. Somebody, a <laughs> yeah. mentor, a peer, a, someone to say, no, 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 no. I, when I look at all these campuses, you're in the top five. You go, boy. You go, girl. Let's get it. Rock on. I'm going to monitor things. If you start going off track, I'll be your bumpers and you go. That's what I want for the leaders these, these, these days is to have somebody or, hey, hell, a group of people to, to say, no, you, you're doing exactly what we want. Go. But then you can, once you get out of the overwhelmed stage, you can stop and reflect you can stop and have good conversations and listen and then make some adjustments. But when you're going into work every day, overwhelmed, stressed out, knowing that you did not give your family what they needed this weekend because you were physically there, but not mentally there, you're just, there comes another bad week and you don't know how to get out of that cycle. Because if you knew how to get out of the cycle, you'd get out of the cycle, right? Yeah. So how do you do that? <laughs> what would be for, for our campus leaders that are 
sitting there thinking, mm-hmm. that's me. What, how how do they okay. begin? What's the first next okay. step to get it. there? I got it. Because this is how I, looking back, this is how I, I can't say figured it out, but I improved. I would, after the kids went to bed on Sunday nights, I would go to the school because they're like, okay, my wife, you, you take care of the kids. Sunday nights, I'm going to school. So you go there, you can get more work done Sunday nights in two hours than you did the whole week. If nothing else, you get a silent place to work. And if you'll take 10 minutes to say, okay, what went well this week? What didn't go well this week? What kind of week do I want? Okay. If I want that, what are two things I can do to get that? Okay. That right there would would give you traction to start improving your situation. Because really it's a situation. You're not gonna improve the job is tough and it's always gonna be tough. You're not gonna make it easy. But you can improve how you feel doing that job. That's what I think. So finding the time to reflect and plan is to me is your only way out. And if you don't, if you can't or don't do that, you're going to, you must not, my coach says to me, you must not hate it enough because when you hate it, you'll change it. How many principals do you see doing that before they start their week? 10%. And it's mainly the veteran principals who know, or they have a system. Yeah. Because you don't, you don't stay a veteran principal unless you figured some of this out. It's, It's too, it's too painful. Is there anything else that for our, for our principals that are listening to this thinking, I love where you've gone. I want to get there. How do I get there? Any other practical things that you would impart upon our folks that are listening? You know, after after 17 years of being a principal, I think my number one thing I would recommend is find time to reflect and plan. Find time. I mean, there's time to decompress. There's time to deal with trauma. There's all of that. But if you don't find time to reflect and plan, you're going to be doing the same thing next week. And if I could just tell my younger self again, okay, stop, reflect, and plan. That would be it. I mean, there's learning data and systems and all of that, but... Stop and plan and reflect. I want to hear a little bit about what you are doing now. What you and um, is it Linda? Lisa. What is your wife's name again? Mm-hmm. Lisa. Okay. What you and Lisa are doing together, and um, can you tell me a little bit about yeah. JL Hines Consulting? Well, it's J for John, L for Lisa, and on our logo, I'm blue mm-hmm. and she's a she, her L is red. Okay, just FYI. Okay. Just a little known okay. fact. She's the budget manager (laughs) and uh, John, that's stupid. Don't do that person. Okay. Okay. 
So she keeps sure. me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You only need one of those. I need like three. But so she keeps me on track. <laughs> but what we do, what sure. and, and I have a great team of independent consultants who work with me on different projects. Depending mm -hmm. on the project, I pull okay. in a different consultant. So we'll go in, we'll listen to if the principal is called to call me in, figure out what they need. And then either I'll do it or I will pull in someone who is better at it than me. Or if the superintendent calls, it's like, okay, do you need, depending on if it's behavior or special ed or with their administrators or instruction, I have this group of independent consultants who I tap into and say, okay, they need a behavior specialist. I need you, let's go. Or they need to work on their special ed program. Come on in, let's go. And so that's that's what I do. Uh, I That's what I do with districts. Now, like with responsive learning, I create content. I love creating content because it's going to be out there for everyone and it'll be there for a long time, like my YouTube videos. So that if you're a stressed out principal, you can go and just chill and watch a 10 minute video or do a 30 minute course with responsive learning and learn a little bit more. So I really enjoy that part of it. And I love working with principals because I know the principal is going to either positively or negatively affect the kids. I want them to positively affect the kids and the staff and the community. So that's what I'm committed to right now in my life. I, I was working with my coach the other day and talking about retirement. She said, John, you didn't retire. You just changed jobs. I'm like, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I'm going to try that on for a little bit. Yeah. I just changed jobs. So what I try to get principals to do specifically is own it and be all in. And then your professional development affects everyone. So depending on where you are, if you need more professional development, then let's work there. But when you can own it, like own everything, own the relationship with the community, own the relationships with the business partners, own your scores, own your relationships with people who are going against you, but you're still going to love them. That's all in. And if you're not there, let me help you get there. Because I think that's what our kids deserve these days. They deserve it. You're getting quiet on me. What's up? I'm just, I'm just listening. Um, I want that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> of course not. I want that for our principals. I want that for our campuses. We have so many young, inexperienced, struggling, floundering, isolated, alone administrators that don't have that support, that don't have someone to nudge them in the right direction or give them practical tools or just listen to them. And, um, 
I want that for more of our administration, which is why I'm here doing this and talking to folks like you, because we're trying to find more resources, practical resources that folks can tap into to get some of that because we know it's powerful. Um, And I just love the heart that you have paired with the practical, applicable tools and ways to get from point A to B to C and um, I'm thankful for the time. Is there, is, do you have anything else that you would like to share before we yes. sign off here? Two, th- two things. Okay. okay. Give it to the me. Absolutely. My last campus. I didn't get to talk about them. Okay. Yes. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. This is my second campus. We'll, I'll skip that one, but we'll go to my last campus because okay. when I got to my last campus, mm-hmm. I was a principal for 14 years already. Okay. Okay. So it was the lowest performing school in our district and we had 43 schools. Okay. Okay. So when okay. I got there, it was a, not in good shape physically, instructionally, ever. I mean, but here are the lessons I learned because this is why I want to just tell you the lessons I learned. All kids deserve a champion. And in our un serviced or underserviced areas, communities, they're being underserved by the community, they're being underserved by government, they're underserved by, in some cases, the district. They're getting the short end of the stick every day. And I didn't know that. I came from the highest performing school to the lowest one. And just seeing how one school can be serviced differently than another school because of the expectations completely pissed me off. Completely. And it was almost, okay, all right, game on, challenge accepted. And so all kids deserve a champion. Success is possible even at the toughest schools. But I think it begins with the principal. Don't accept the victim mentality that, uh, well, this is the school. And, you know, we can't get the best teachers. Or, you know, our kids, our kids are like, "Mm, stop that right now. Because I've seen it. The kids rise to the level of your expectations. They just do. The kids coming from the toughest families or the most intact families, they reach your expectations. And the staff does too. Uh, And I didn't learn how to be all in until my last school. I thought I was all in until I got to that school. I was like, no, I got to up my game. These kids need me to up my game and be better because there's more issues to, to tackle and to handle and to manage and the problems to solve. So I got to up my game because they need me to up my game. Okay. And then the last thing for a struggling principal, Pat Lencioni's book, The Advantage, and his videos that go along. He's got a book, a, a video for each chapter. They're like three minutes. It would help you get really focused on what and how things need to get improved. Okay? 
Hmm. Other than my website oh. and my videos and my responsive learning uh, courses, yeah, I see any. That's mm -hmm. what I recommend. Okay. Great. I'll be sure to let we link that in the show notes for this episode also so folks can find that really easily and access that okay. quickly. That's that's me. Well, thank you so much. This was so wonderful and insightful. You like moved me to tears on a couple of occasions, which hasn't happened in this podcast yet. So that's really interesting, but I'm thankful so much for your time, for the energy that you have put into what you do as a parent of kids in public schools in Texas. I just want to thank you. My kids are at one of those like underperforming, underachieving schools that so many in the city um, don't expect much from, and man, their principal just, she disagrees and she fights for them and she works so hard for them. And so, um, as a parent of a kid at that school, I just thank you for, um, seeing that population and seeing that community and, uh, loving them so well. And for all you do for administrators and for students and for teachers, Thanks thank for you so much. What did I tell you? I mean, Oh, I got like teary there at the end. Oh man, it's just always a joy to meet someone that has been in the trenches and is working hard to make it better for the people that are in the schools, in the classrooms, in the offices, on the phone with the parents that are angry. <laughs> uh, we love all of the work that you guys do as principals, as leaders, as teachers in the school and we are just doing everything we can to make your job a little more fun a little easier um, as always, uh, everything that we do here is made possible by Responsive Learning. The production and editing for this podcast is done by Erwin Solbach. Um, Alana Kanoi did all of our logo and design work for us. And as always, all of the resources that we mentioned here, um, all of the books that John mentioned, links to his website and his services, you can find all of those in the show notes. Thank you guys so much. I hope you have a great rest of your day. 